I got to start off with a clap. I'm very, very, very excited for today's guest. I'm Bobby. Welcome back to Fight Junkies, the best fight podcast on planet Earth. And today, I have an awesome gentleman that I've been chit-chatting with for the last few weeks, someone that I've been following for the last few years, and someone that's brought many, many, many laughs to me throughout my days. Today, we have Mr. Robert Ingram from McDojo Life. Yo, what's up, man? Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And you've been nothing but cool to me. So I'm really looking forward to having a good chit chat and talking shop. Well, welcome to the show. I'm very, very, very excited to have you. Um, I got to say, like, one of the top pages that I will consistently go through to watch for fun and for joy. And, and, and we, I also learn stuff. You're also like a, you know, at core, like a, a real martial artist and, you know, a good, a good man. So I, I've, I've definitely been impressed on, on what you've done and the caliber of just human that you are. Like it, most people that, that are mostly posting like funny stuff and they also aren't going live and helping people and like actively trying to like help people with mental health and other things and, and give back. They just want the clout. They just want to get the views, but you are a unique individual who does both. You know, you like to obviously have your fun, but you also give back. And I, I think that's great. So I was so excited to have you on today. Um, for the viewers yeah. that don't know, which I'm sure there's not many that don't know, you have a huge page. Can you explain like how you got, how you got into this? Like, this is just awesome. Well, yeah, so uh, McDojo Life is the brand that I've created and I've been working on for over a decade now, which is wild to think because that means now I'm getting old as shit. Um, but McDojo Life calls out fakes, frauds, phonies, con men, pedophiles, and cults in the martial arts industry. And the idea is to try to keep martial arts as legitimate as possible um, because there is no real checks and balances in this industry. There's no requirement to open a dojo. There's no certification you need. Oh, you don't need to have any martial arts experience at all to open a martial arts school. There's no background checks that are required, federal or local. No one has to have CPR certification. You literally could open up a martial arts studio, give yourself the 30th degree black belt in your own made-up style, and I could call it Rob's Karate and All-You-Can-Eat Chinese Food Emporium. And, you know, you come for the karate, but you stay for the egg rolls, of course. <laughs> but if I did that, that would make me a fraud. Unfortunately, this industry is full of that, and no one ever really seemed to care. Or they have this weird ideology, which I never would agree with, which is, you know, if I just worry about me and my students and worry about making me better, that's all that matters. I'll just ignore the frauds. Well, the problem with that ideology is if martial arts is a high-rise building— and every floor is a different art, karate, taekwondo, judo, jiu-jitsu, and so on all the way up. And every day you go to train, you check in at the front desk, but you look to your left and you notice someone's trying to set the building on fire. You just ignore them because you know what? I'm not going to worry about them. I'm going to worry about me and my students. Eventually, they will set this building on fire. So I believe we should not just turn a blind eye to the things that are going on. I love martial arts. I think it's great for people, but we can't just ignore the bad. I did not know that there was no prerequisites, certifications. You know, I, I remember back in when I was a kid, like the late 80s, going to Taekwondo in New Jersey. I absolutely loved it. Um, but I didn't know that 
you know, almost everything that you can't put a window in your basement without having to get a permit at the county building, you know, and pay for all this money. So to think that people could open up a, a, a business, legitimate or illegitimate, and try to train people without any, you know, actual prerequisites is wild to me. That's crazy. Yeah. Like when you uh, like get the business license. I think if I remember correctly, it falls under the same business license as a dance instructor. So it's not like, you know, it's like, I would imagine these two things are so much different from each other. But if you're going to file for an LLC as a martial arts instructor, it's basically the equivalent of a dance instructor. And again, you don't need any certifications whatsoever to start a martial arts school. Um, there could be a homeless dude who watched Under Siege 2 like 5,000 times and he decides I'm going to teach that. And he just opens a school. You could do that. And we've been done experiments where we fooled people by teaching nothing but crap that was in movies that we saw. And they bought it. Like, they thought it was the best seminar they had ever had. I wonder what leads people in their, their psyche to believe certain things. Is it, is, it a, is it a form of wanting to be accepted? Is it a form of, like, just utter belief uh, and, like, lack of skepticism? Like, what what do you think makes... The so if you if you're watching and you don't fully know uh, because you're a little younger back at least when we were younger there was karate studios everywhere and they popped up and I see clips that you post now and it's like you said anyone could be a, a master. Um, what made you want to start challenging these people like because you're a, a true martial artist and I, honestly so like. You know, I've been doing, I, I've been in the martial arts industry for 26 years now, and I mark it every year on my birthday because that was when I took my first class ever because uh, martial arts was a birthday gift for me. <laughs> my mom had paid in full for classes, and uh, I was getting beat up and picked on and teased in school, and it, it culminated in just getting jumped outside a gym class for five minutes where two teachers stood there and watched the whole thing and did nothing about it. And I'm laying there bleeding with glass broken and I'm all cut up and busted. I even have like um, like a scar on my finger, which is like a tattoo from when I got stabbed with a pencil during that beating. Um, and so a friend of mine who was late to the class, um, he saw me there bleeding and he ran up and he picked me up and he walks me to the nurse's office. And when he walks me to the nurse's office, he hands me a card for a free trial martial arts class and he goes, you need this. And so I asked my mom and my mom was like, yeah, of course, uh, or well, technically she said maybe, which my mom doesn't say maybe, but the next month uh, I had one birthday present. I opened it up and it was just a contract that was paid in full for the year. And my first class was on my birthday. My uniform was already there. I showed up and I've never stopped since. So it changed my life quite literally. I know that that's the cliche, right? Martial arts changed my life. It did <laughs> like it sucked life's ass you know and then i got this outlet this amazing gift um that i've been doing now since i was 12 and about like i don't know i was a blue belt in uh brazilian jiu-jitsu um i had already had two black belts and two other arts and i started jiu-jitsu and i was a program director there so my boss calls me up one day and he's like yo man i can't teach i'm not feeling well so I was like, all right, that's cool i'll teach the class for you so i taught like an arm bar triangle choke transition between the two and we sparred after that, because it was a noon class, everybody stood around, we're chit-chatting, shooting the crap. And one guy stayed behind after everyone left. And he pulls me to the side and he goes, hey, man, I'm a little embarrassed. 
I don't know what a McDojo is because that was a conversation we were having at the time. And I explained to him what it was and he asked me a very simple question that I never thought about, which was, why doesn't anyone do anything about them? And I was like, well, damn, I have no clue. I don't know why. So I started researching, right? Like, what are the requirements to start a school? Oh, there are none. <laughs> like, who's going to check if you're lying? Oh, there is no one. The only thing that was close was like Bullshito forums. And even there, they were just like complaining about really stupid things that didn't matter while they were ignoring the major things like the rape and the fraud and the murder and all the other things that come along with it. And I just decided the next day to start McDojo Life. Wow. You know, I, I really absolutely love when people put their mind to something that they genuinely care about. There's a lot of people out there, for instance, Fight Junkies for me, like, you know, when I was asked to do the show, it, this was, it was like a two years of like the boss watching me post about fighting anyway. Like this is genuinely a passion for me, uh, you know, the mixed martial arts world since I was young too. Um, so to see somebody who, you know, went through the bullying and then changed his literally his life be, through mixed martial arts to, to challenge the people that are disgracing it, you know, and, and putting shame in the face of martial arts as a whole. I think that's, those are the people that we need to do what you're doing. Um, there, more people need to put their passion in front of their their other foot and, and take that step, I think. Obviously, it's hard, like inflation and money and all that crap. We all got to survive. But when do, uh, So how did that, like, obviously, you were, like, looking into it and seeing, like, I, I just have a vision of you, like, just showing up at, like, some some dojos and be and let's like beating the shit out of like the guy that owned it and seeing this guy's a fraud. Like <laughs> it doesn't really work that way. Um, like the, there's, there's this term it's called cognitive dissonance. And so cognitive dissonance uh, to sum it up as simply as possible is you believe something your entire life, right? Like the matrix. <laughs> and then someone shows you that what you believe beyond doubt is wrong, just wrong. Um, like kind of like when you hear the lyrics to a song, right? And you sing it wrong your entire life. And then one day you actually read the lyrics and you're like, oh, that's not the word at all, right? <laughs> well, at that moment, you have a decision to make. Do I continue to say it the way I've always said it now that I know for a fact I'm saying it wrong? Or do I change it and go the opposite way and now sing it the right way because I'm now aware of what the lyrics are? Now, most people, when it comes to lyrics, They'll probably sing it the right way from here on out, but every once in a while, they'll still joke about the old lyric that they got wrong. Well, now take that and make it a belief structure. So now you believe for a fact that this is your life. This is the reality. And then someone proves to you that your reality is not correct, that what you've believed for 20, 30 years is a lie. Most people can't handle that. So what winds up happening is they have to make a decision. Now I know the truth, do I continue to believe the lie? If I do that, my life will be so much easier. I just go with the lie. I don't have to change my friends. I don't have to train, change my social structure. I don't have to change who my mentor is. I don't have to change my whole belief system. I just continue to do what I did because that made me happy. Or do I uproot my entire life and change it completely because now I know the truth and I'm forced to go down the path of truth? Well, part is when you step from the outside, it looks like an easy decision. But when you're, excuse me, inside of a cult, it's not that easy. Um, there's a lot that goes into being inside of a cult, and it's not as easy as just beating the instructor up. 
Like, no one in the history of any cult ever left a cult because you beat the leader up. That's just does it's just not how it works. And people will go, well, at least they'll know that it's true. That's that's the smallest part of what makes them a part of a cult is that who can beat who up. I promise you they don't care. <laughs> that's not what it is. And so that old school ideology of I'll just show up and beat them up or dojo storm them, it's proven to not work. It's proven to not have people leave the gym. It just makes the other person kind of look like a bully. That's really all it is to it. Yeah, I could see the ide- like the ideology that goes into the belief system. Um, for me, I, look, I'm a perfect example of that. My dad was a cop. His friends died in 9-11. I was in high school. They told me these are the bad guys. I joined the army. I went to war believing these are the bad guys. Fast forward almost 20 years. I don't believe any of that anymore. And it was not easy to change. And it would have been a lot easier to stay in my box and say, well, I'm going to dislike people because of the part of the world they're from or the way they look because that's the way that they shoved it in our in our throats as soldiers for so many years. So, I, yeah, that resonates with me. I, I can't imagine being in an environment where, yeah, since you were a kid, your father, your uncle, your cousins, you're in a small town, let's see, in, you know, in tennis, outside of Memphis, Tennessee, where there's not a lot going on unless you're like a football star. And that is like your, it's like being in a motorcycle club. Like that's your thing. Yeah. What, when do you push back? Most don't. Is that why there's such a big following with you? Cause I look at it like a church. You ever see the guys in the church making believe the demons are coming out of people? Like, not nothing against the religion or anything, but like I, I look at that and go, that's that's bullshit. They're all acting, and it's kind of like, man, the belief these guys have and the power they have over these people is like unreal. Well, one, it, it's again, it's it's really easy from the outside looking in to see when something's going wrong. It's a lot harder when you are indoctrinated into a belief structure because. People tend to think that they can't be fooled. And as a matter of fact, I can prove to any of you that you absolutely can be fooled. Like, it's easier to con- it's easier to fool people than to convince them they've been fooled, all right? That's an old school saying. Everybody's heard of it before. But the reason that there are so many people who are involved in cults is because people forget the root word of culture is cult. Our culture is made up of cults, a lot of them. And most people, in one way or another, whether they know it or not, are probably a part of a cult, whether it's a part a cult of personality, a cult of politics, uh, it could be a religious cult, it could be a martial arts cult, hell, you can even have a car cult, right? It doesn't really matter, you can have these cults. And so I actually have like a couple questions for you if you want to take a stab at it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. So I'll ask you the first baseline question is very simple. Um, Do you believe you could fall victim of a cult? I have in in a in a way with the MC culture, yes. Okay, there you go. Do you believe you can fall victim of a con artist? Yes. Okay, cool. Now here's how we prove it to anyone who said no. All right. So are you a lawyer? No. Do you think you'd be better at law than a lawyer? <laughs> no way. Exactly. Are you a doctor? No, sir. Do you think you'd be better at open heart surgery than a doctor? No way. Are you a con artist? I think I, I have a good influence over people if I believe something, but I'm not conning anybody. 
if that so means you're not a con artist. No, no. Yeah, just having the ability to do something doesn't mean you're doing it. Like, I have the ability to shoot someone in the head. It doesn't make me a murderer because I know I can do it. I choose not to, so I'm not a murderer, right? Yeah. So you're not a con artist because you don't go out and con people, even if you have the ability to do so. Correct. The reason I set up that baseline of questioning is because a doctor is a job. It is a career in which you have to study and learn. And most people who aren't know they're not. And they don't even question. They're not like, oh, my God, this guy is having a heart attack. Somebody give me a scalpel. I'm going to do this. Like, no, you're not. Like, you don't know what you're doing. You're going to kill this guy. Or if you're a lawyer, you would never be like, or if you're not a lawyer, most smart people would hire a lawyer. <laughs> don't know what I'm doing. I know if I represent myself, I'm going to look like an ass because I don't know how any of this works, right? But then people get to con artists and they think that they know better than someone who is professional at a trade. Conning people is a skill. And if you look at people like Jim Jones, for instance, Jim Jones had probably one of the most famous cults that there ever was, right? Drink the Kool-Aid. Well, that particular cult, he started studying how to be a cult leader when he was a child. He would literally go to every one of the different uh, religious factions in his area and take every and go to every one of their sermons that he could. Wow. Whether it was Christian, whether it was a Baptist, it didn't matter. He was going to everyone that he could, and he was learning. And he was watching how these people were able to talk to people. And then he'd go to the woods— and he would practice preaching sermons to know he'd study and practice and work on it, eventually becoming one of the front runners for the civil rights movement. So he took like his congregation, which was primarily African-American, and he would go to these white only restaurants and say, look, I got 150 people right here who are willing to give you money. Do I take them to your competition across the street? Or are you going to eat here? And they would slowly but surely be like, well, I guess you can eat here. And slowly but surely he was doing this great thing, right? Well, he used that somewhere along the line, discovered hookers and cocaine and just start sleeping with everyone in the congregation and doing all the drugs in the world. And then he becomes crazy with power and understands what he can do to manipulate people. But that took him decades to work on, to be able to be that good, to convince people to leave the country, go to another country, start an entire congregation, and then eventually convince them that they are a part of this religious faction that he's invented where they should now commit mass suicide. Yeah. Then he convinced them to do this, not because he got lucky or because these people are stupid. He's skilled at manipulating people. So when we look at these martial arts frauds, it's just as simple as thinking about this, not like a martial art, but like a mechanic. Someone goes to a mechanic and they don't know anything about the car. They just know it doesn't work. And they go to the mechanic and they go, dude, my car is not starting. The mechanic can say whatever he wants to someone who's uneducated because they don't know. He'd be like, well, I need to fix your battery. And I need to put some uh, some fluid inside your headlight, and uh, your 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 starter is uh, bad, and your brake lines are bad. Oh, by the way, we're gonna have to repaint the car, and then we'll be able to get it to start. <laughs> well, people who don't know anything about cars, they'll go, okay. All I know is I took the car in. He gave me a quote. I paid it. Now my car works. That's the average person. Now, obviously, I'm being really but it's exaggerated true. in terms. They of made a show about that. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. So martial arts is even more convoluted because a uh, coach, instructor, sifu, sensei, senpai, uh, professor, like the list goes on. Depending on the martial art that you do, the culture might be completely different and the wording and the terminology and the place of origin. Like most people spend a lifetime studying one martial art so that way they can understand it. Now take somebody who's never done martial arts before and they're looking out at a sea of martial arts to figure out which one they want. 
All they know is to ask one question when they walk in. The average person knows to ask, how much does it cost? Past that, they have no clue what they're looking at. So the idea is that as trained martial artists or people who've studied before, when you look from the outside in at people who are being had, you can spot it easy, but that's because we're educated. These people who are not educated are slowly but surely being taken advantage of by con men in an unregulated industry that has really no laws or rules or regulations behind it. It almost seems like the perfect bubble to get away with whatever you want. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. Like, and the fun part is like when you really start getting into the really crazy stuff. So like in the United States, we have guys like George Dillman who believes he can knock people out with his mind, right? Yeah. We have guys like Evan Pantazzi who believes he can knock people out with sound. If he says certain words in certain ways, you just get knocked out, right? Um, but then you have places like Indonesia. Indonesia like is now an entire culture that truly believes on their children that do things like Debus. Now, if you are curious, any Debus, D-E-B-U-S, before you do, understand that is horrific looking. It's self-mutilation without harm. So you'll have these Indonesian Salat practitioners who will go out in these public squares in order to gather more students and gather more money. And they'll do things like take chainsaws to their face or take blades across everywhere. And then all of a sudden, they'll just wipe it off. Well, to them in that particular culture, they believe truly that they have some type of inner power that stops them from being injured, right? But the people doing it know that it's rigged, but they use the power of suggestion to convince people they really have these powers and people in an impoverished area of the world, they don't have any prospect. You were talking about the influence people have over, you know, specific people in like different parts of the world where they don't have much to the point where there's almost some self-mutilation going on with certain well, things. Yeah, and... like, yeah. Like Debus is like self-mutilation without harm. So they'll like basically cut themselves and bleed all over the place. But then when they wipe their arm, magically they're not cut. Well, children are indoctrinated into this way of thinking to believe they have powers like in that area, they call it Tanaga Dalam and Tanaga Dalam is like inner power. And that particular inner power, you'll see people, which is funny to watch at first, right? You'll see somebody wave their hand and somebody will fly back 30 feet without being touched. Um, and they've been indoctrinated to believe this is a real thing. And when you watch it from the outside, it's hilarious. Do you mind because, if we pull one of your clips up? Do it. Go for it, man. Yeah, have at it. So yeah. there's an actual name for it. It's the chi. Is it chi or? Well, it depends. So like, let's say, for instance, when we're looking at this particular clip, this would be more like Chi, C-H-I, or Ki, K-I, or Ki, Q-I. It just kind of depends. Chi is funny because when you talk like about this kind of stuff, if you asked this particular master what Chi was, he'll give you one answer. But if you ask like another master, he'll give you a completely different answer. Chi is one of those things that is just kind of made up nonsense that the definition changes depending on, on how convenient it is at the time for the instructor or the person who believes it. Some people believe it's just air. Some people believe it's just energy. Some people believe that it's literally glucose. Like you can go online and just look up what chi is and you will not find the same definition more than once usually. Um, why? It's because it's made up. It's yeah. not real. Like, this is bullshit. crazy. Scientists have never been able to prove that chi is real. There is no real evidence that this is a real thing. 
And anytime somebody does discover something, they go, oh, that's what it is. And then they just piggyback off of something that's not it at all. I mean, it's it's really funny shit. But like, you have to remember, like, when we look at this, that's funny, right? The guy's moving his arms, people fly back 30 feet. I think it's hilarious. But each one of those people is paying him. Each one of those people is potentially another four or five gems that could be opened up under that lineage. Um, it gets scary because that's a cult. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, – I've only looked at it from the – I mean, I guess I in some aspects. Who's that guy, Detroit, uh, the dust guy? Yeah, Dale Brown. Yeah. Um, he's the only one where I was kind of like, this guy, he has to know he's full of crap and he's taking advantage cool. of people. Like, what is your take on that, on that guy? First of all, Dale is a giant piece of shit human being. Um, that's <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, fuck him. Like the the problem, like I'll give you a little backstory too, because most people don't know this. But when I first did my video about Dale, if you watch the breakdown that I did, which I only did one breakdown about Dale Brown, I show all the nonsense techniques that will not work. And then after I showed those techniques, at the end, I actually gave him credit for at least doing security work in that area. So, first of all, Dale Brown has Detroit Urban Survival Training. His headquarters is no longer located in Detroit. It's located about 30 minutes away from there in Ferndale, not Detroit. So every time he claims the hood, the streets of Detroit, yeah, maybe at one time you were there, but right now you're in Ferndale. So that's bull. Second, he uh, was talking crap about Chris Kyle, one of the most decorated snipers, snipers in the, the world. Yeah. And we're talking about somebody who's elite of the elite for what he did. And, you know, the man's got bodies. Like, that's just facts, right? So this most elite sniper, he he went on to a interview, I do believe, with Colin Noir, and he said the words, Chris Kyle would be alive right now if he studied with me. What makes you, you ignorant security guard fat bastard, what makes you think that Chris Kyle would be alive because of your magical training? Then he's like, well, none of my security team has ever died doing their job. Yeah, but I'm sure that there's a dildo salesman in Detroit who's also never died in the line of his work either. That doesn't make you special. But meanwhile, he does have many, many of his security team who have been shot and stabbed. I guess those gun disarms didn't work as good as he claims. Then on top of that, the dude goes on to, after my video I posted, he starts saying, hey, you should come up here to Detroit and you're more than welcome in our studio. And he wanted like a, he wanted me to go there. Well, first of all, that's nonsensical. I'm never going to his studio, never would. One, he could hit me for trespassing, not allowing me in the building at all. Two, he could hit me for trespassing at any time I am in the building. Three, in order for me to film inside his place of business, he has to give me permission. If he does give me permission, that means I have to have him sign a waiver. If he doesn't give me verifiable permission, then if I do film something he doesn't like and I post it, and because it was inside his place of business, I could be in legal trouble. Yep. If I go and someone gets hurt, that potentially means that I'm in trouble for a crime. If I talked about challenging and that's misconstrued, that could be constituted as a premeditated crime if I hurt anybody. So why on earth would I ever go to his facility? That would be stupid. But I did let him know that I'd be willing to meet him at a neutral facility. At the time, I told him, hey, I can't do it now because my stepfather was literally dying of Alzheimer's disease. He was in hospice, and I told him, look, man, I'm having to deal with this right now. Whenever that's done, we'll set something up. This asshole took the exact date. I said, hey, let's come back to the table around this time. And he sent like a message like publicly on his stories. Oh, this guy's a coward. He's never coming. Knowing good and well my stepfather's dying in hospice, and I'm dealing with that. 
He didn't give a shit. He doesn't care. So he just starts talking shit online, knowing what I'm going through, right? So then Tom DeBlass offers him $50,000 to spar with one of his female students. Yep. He doesn't accept. Um, who else? I offered to pay for his hotel, his flight, and his food and accommodations for him to come and meet me at a neutral facility. He's never agreed to do that. Sean Strickland put him through a cabinet this last year at SHOT Show. Sean yeah. Strickland was trying to do that wrist lock. He just basically barely pushed him, and the guy flies back like he's never stood before in his life. At the gun store over here, yeah. Yeah, and then what happens? Sean Strickland goes doubles down because there, you know, uh, there is Dale Brown talking shit again from behind the screen about Sean Strickland. So Sean Strickland offered him $200,000 to meet in the desert to spar. Nothing. So this man not only is a giant coward, but he hides behind the fact that he lives in a certain city. Then he does these weird things like he says things like, oh, well, we don't spar at our facility. But then he tries to get everyone to love him or pay attention to him because he backs an MMA fighter after he's talked all this shit about MMA. Then he does these things where he talks about like, uh, oh, I'm going to do this drill where you're going to hold this pistol at me and I'm going to have a pistol behind my back. And when you see me move and I pull the trigger, I'm, when you see me move, I want you to pull the trigger. So he's set parameters around the self-defense. Like It's all complete bullshit. Well, not only that, but he's a hypocrite because he also publicly announces all the time you should not leave one in the chamber. You should have to rack before you shoot. Well, in his experiments, watch any of those experiments, he never racks before he shoots. So he's literally lying to someone's face. Then he's a hypocrite. Then he sets up these, these uh, experiments that don't hold his own standards. He doesn't spar in his facilities while he's trying to teach people about the streets in which his own employees have gotten seriously injured in the line of work, even though they've never died. Well, I got to tell you, there are plenty of janitors who've never died in the line of work. There are plenty of mechanics who never died in the line of work. That's not impressive to say your people haven't died. But let's go back and check out all the people who've been injured doing the crap that you're talking about. And it's it's fascinating to me. It's his own little cult of personality. And past being asked about him, I don't even talk about him anymore. Because the fact remains, he doesn't actually care about anyone other than himself. Because if you cared about your students and you cared about the safety of the people paying you, what you would care about is understanding that you don't know everything. That you should be bringing other people in to teach you. You should admit when someone tells you something that you have done is incorrect. You should be, of course, adjusting as you go because no one's perfect. If I talk to Tim Kennedy, what will happen is Tim Kennedy, if I show him a better way, he'll be like, man, I'm going to do it that way from here on out. Why? Because his ego is not there because he gives a shit about his actual clients. Yeah. The difference? Tim Kennedy actually did some shit. Dale Brown is a security guard in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, Ferndale. He drives to Detroit. And he so claims he's a, a veteran, I think, but I don't know, man. He probably got kicked day, out for not making weight, you know? Just I think he just likes hearing the sound of his own voice. Watch any of his interviews. He does the cultiest thing ever. If someone asked him a question, he filibusters. They'll ask him a very direct question. What's your martial arts background? He'll spend 30 minutes getting so far away from that answer that by the time he actually lets the other person speak, like they forgot what the question was. I got a question for you. <laughs> Do you know who Jeremy DeWitt is? Um, not off the top of my head. Help me. Maybe. He's that police impersonator out of Florida near Jacksonville? No, I don't know who that oh is. Oh, my God. He's another Detroit urban you know, retard. Um, this guy, he's just, he was on Dr. Phil. He, he, he does funeral escorts. He doesn't anymore. He, he got, he went and got convicted and went to jail. I think he just got out. 
Yeah, you're you're welcome, my friend. I have a beautiful rabbit hole for you to go down. Jeremy Dewitt. I'll send you it. Uh, I'll yeah. send you a text after this. This guy is a phenomenon. I mean, I I literally was obsessed with this guy's content during the early parts of COVID because there wasn't much going on, and you're gonna have a field day. It's you know it's a little different than the mixed martial arts stuff, but that same mindset, that ego, that bullshit, mm-hmm. and that guy Dust, you know. I think the the ego is probably the worst thing with with a lot of people that holds us back. But for him to say that Chris Kyle, one of the greatest snipers, you know, would still be alive if 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 he trained him, it was the most arrogant. I, I hope I never see that dude because I'm going to smack him just for that comment. Um, I got I want to I want to ask you about some you know before we go, you you've obviously you know that you've this is. What were your intentions? Did you ever think, kind of like they asked Joe Rogan, like when you started podcasting, did you think it would be this big? Did Was this the goal or just kind of like Coleman eyes into this gigantic thing? I mean, you are humongous, as you know. Um, was there a thought process or like a, this is where I want to do? How did it get no, to this point? Like, I, I think that in martial arts, my mentality has changed every five years, right? My goals. So when I first started martial arts, I got tired of getting my ass whooped in school and I wanted to be good at fighting people so I could stop getting my ass whooped because <laughs> I was really good at talking myself into a fight and really bad at winning them. So I'd like talk shit and then I'd be like, oh, I can't fight and then get beat up like, damn, I didn't think this through. <laughs> uh, but so for the first five years, that's all I cared about. I competed in my first competition a month after I joined martial arts. I basically lived in the gym. I was there every day. That's not an exaggeration that it was open. I was there. I was training before class. I was training after class. I was training a lot. And then, I, you know, I had my first full contact boxing match at 15 years old. Um, I did that in smoker fights. That was literally a 21 and up bar here in town called Plush. So the first dude I ever fought in a full contact fight was a drunk guy who was 35 years old. Um, luckily, we have all that on film because <laughs> all of them were filmed. So I'm writing a book about that shit. But you know, after you do that long enough, you go, okay, well, what's my next goal now that I've reached the ability to defend myself? Okay, well, now let's see if I can be competitive with this. So, you know, now I'm going to go down and try to be as competitive as possible, do as many competitions now for the sake of competition, not for self-defense. Then after that, you're like, well, what's next? Okay, well, what? maybe I want to teach. So I start going down that path. And when it comes to this, I think it started off as just a hobby. And it's like a side thing that I did for fun. And you have to remember when you start anything, you start with zero. (laughs) You don't have any followers. You don't have any views. No one cares that you exist. And then somewhere along the line, people started recognizing um, the work. Whether they recognized it for good or bad, it didn't matter. They still recognized it. And then it got put up on a bigger platform. And I remember the day that it was on Joe Rogan's show, the very first time he mentioned it, because he had shared a few of my things before then on Instagram. Like back then he used to share a lot more. Um, So he shared some of my stuff and I was like, oh my God, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, But then he started talking about it on the show. And that day he did that, I was next door to the jujitsu academy I was at and I'm painting the jujitsu, the building next door, sorry. And as I'm painting the building next door, getting it ready for summer camp, which is about to come up, my phone starts vibrating a lot. So I shut it off and put it back in my pocket and go back to painting. I went back next door to like wash up and get ready to teach a kid's class. And some, one of the parents came in and said, Hey man, congratulations. I was like, for what? (laughs) Like, 
I'm not sure what I did, but thank you. He goes, oh, man, Joe Rogan talked about you on his show for a while. I was like, really? And then I turned on my phone. And like, if you have an iPhone, when you turn it on, just you get like the notifications. It just scrolled. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, this is awesome. So like, I, you know, I think that day I gained like 50,000 more followers just because I was mentioned for like five minutes on a show. Um, and then he did it again. Then he did it again. And now it's something that he mentions quite a bit here and there. And it's, it's cool that I'm recognized by someone in the industry who cares about the industry, whether it was Joe Rogan or not, who gives a shit. That's cool. And I appreciate that was him because obviously that's a big platform to be mentioned on, but it's all those other messages started to let me know, maybe I should do this more as a full-time career. Like when you do a message or when you do a video about like endo athletics, endo athletics is an apparel company that quite literally has been ripping people off for at least a decade, if not more, through various names of different companies that he creates every time he gets caught. Well, I was able to get those people thousands of dollars back. No exaggeration, thousands of dollars back because I communicated with the guy and then eventually did a story. And to save his own ass, he starts trying to give people refunds that he didn't give for like 10 years in some cases. So somebody out there who got ripped off on a t-shirt 10 years ago got like a, a paycheck from that guy, <laughs> like a, a, like, you know, a PayPal. And it's all of a sudden they're like, what? What is this? Like, that, that, that is why I want to do the job. That's the right thing to do. And an industry, again, that's unregulated, maybe we should have some regulation. And sometimes that means calling somebody out on their bullshit. Have you heard of Fight Circus? Uh, not off the top of my head. Okay. I bring this up. I met and sat down with uh, one of the top guys at Fight Circus on uh, my brother's podcast, Action Junkies. I'm going to send you some stuff. Because it's it's mixed martial arts, and I think because you also enjoy the comical side of things, it, even though you're passionate about this, um, and you know you want to see things done correctly, and you don't want people to be taken advantage of, uh, I do. You know, I can see that you you have a funny side to you. You have to with the content you're posting, right? So when it comes to like the mix, yeah, this is the McDojo life funny stuff of the MMA world. Think of a circus, a legitimate circus. And now think of if you could do circus type stuff, but in a cage or in a ring, and that's fight circus. So I, I wanted to share that with you because I think you, I think you're gonna love that stuff. Um, yeah, dude. When I was 16, I did a two on two fight one time at like that smoker fight we were talking about. I actually posted a piece of it on YouTube, and it, it was like it was wild, man. So that kind of stuff is always fascinating to me. Yeah, they do like four little people against like two transgenders. Like they go hard. Like they're they're going okay. in at Fight Circus. It's in Thailand, um, where the, obviously there's not many regulations, so it's it's a little bit wild in there. But they'll do like musical chairs, and if you lose, you got to fight. Like they do. It's but it's a legit promotion. Like they have like an arena rented out, or not maybe not an arena, but you know a circus sized thing with you know a thousand people in there, and 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 it's cool. The production value is actually pretty dope. I think, I think you'll enjoy that, so I'll text That's you. Awesome. I'd, yeah, I'd love to check it out. Yeah, I'll hit you up with that and the Jeremy. So what's next for you? Um, are you, are you, you? We spoke earlier. I didn't know if you wanted to bring it up about some of the things that you plan on doing in the future um, when it comes to mixed martial arts and, your, and yourself. Um, well, yeah, what, what is, what is kind of next for McDojo Life? Well, the first thing, uh, I've been working on a book about those fight nights that I was talking to you about when I was a kid fighting in this bar. So I have tons of stories from that. And 
you know how most books start off a chapter with like a quote like i'm starting off e each chapter with a photo of the story like i have proof of everything that's in this book so all the stories in the book are true from two on two fights to club fights to club riots to uh there was a you know the first guy i fought was 35 years old you know my instructor set himself on fire in the nightclub that made national news the first club promoter was killed in a street fight like there's a lot that went on during that time in my youth and it kind of was like my my path i think to becoming a man and having those those things that were so like in your face at the time in a very dangerous rowdy environment just has a lot of stories so that's something that i'm working on um, we've been working on a documentary for about three years now but two of those years were COVID, <laughs> and yeah. the first year was crowdfunding and filming what we got up to this point but now jocko willink is now an executive producer of our film and i spoke with adam from karate combat and he's coming on board as well um and so now we're just trying to finish up funding so we can finish that documentary and once we're able to finish that we think that it's going to be some groundbreaking stuff um, it's a documentary about martial arts cults in that entire world. Um, and so all the work that I've been doing for the last decade with McDojo Life, I can take that and cram that into a documentary or a docu-series, depending on what negotiation goes where at the moment. Um, but we can cram that into that and really show people, yeah, there is this dark side of martial arts, but the purpose is to show people that it does change people's lives for the better. That's why people seek out martial arts. Here are some red flags to look for so that way you don't get taken advantage of yourself and using the cults as a backdrop. So hopefully that'll help a lot of people. Wow, that's awesome. That's tremendous. Once again, giving back, which I love. Huge fan of Jocko. Uh, when he left uh, Ramadi, I had just got to Iraq um, with my uh, division back in 2007. Um, huge fan of Jocko. I, wanna, I wanted to ask you one more thing when it comes to like me not having an ego myself. Like, what advice would you give to, like, a new, like, someone like me who just started a fight show? I have, like, 20-plus years of, like, love and passion for the sport. But, you know, I'm 37. It's This is new for me um, when it comes to creating content. What would you say to someone like myself uh, and other people who want to, you know, eventually get to where you're at in the in the world of, you know, building their own brand? I would just say set goals, man. Like, one of the things I've been doing for um... – it's almost like the the primary income for McDojo Life is I do uh, business consulting for martial arts schools. So one of the comments that kept popping up when I first started was, how do all these frauds have so many students and I don't? <laughs> and these are like legitimate schools asking these questions. So I'd like reach out to them and I'd be like, well, I can show you. Um, and so I started doing business consulting right around the time I started doing McDojo Life. Um, and I, like I said, I've been in the industry for 26 years, so I have a lot of experience on how to run a well-run school. And one thing I've noticed is most people in the industry think they know what they don't know. They think because they're good at choking and kicking and punching people that that will automatically translate to being good at business, that that will automatically translate to being a good instructor. That's just not the case. So the very first piece of advice I give them is we need to write down where we are and write down where we want to be. If you start writing stuff down, you'd be amazed how much stuff actually gets done. Like it solidifies, like it's a, it's a strange thing. You can start marking it. You can start seeing progress and say, man, you know, I want 10 followers this week. Well, how are you going to get them? Are you going to reach out and start liking other people's posts? Well, that's a good way of getting people to notice you. 
Are you going to start commenting on people with big platforms on their posts? Well, that's another good way of people noticing you. So once you set the goal, you know what you want. Then you answer the question of how are you going to get it? If you don't set the goal, you're never going to get there. And so that would be the advice I give. Set the goal. And then once you set the goal, everything else will answer itself. Yeah, it's crazy how when you when you get out there and you start doing stuff, things start happening. Um, I am so excited and so thankful and honored to have you on Fight Junkies today. We got to get you out to Vegas. When you do come, let me know. We'll set up. Uh, we'll get you, you know, probably a tour to the, U, uh, the UFC PI, the Apex uh, we'll see if we can get some seats cage side for a fight night. It was an absolute pleasure. I uh, I got something here, Bobby. This is uh, I and I rarely do this, right? But this is how cool Sticky Paws is. Do you have that a camera same, so he can see you too? Not on this one, but uh, okay. I'm gonna pull up this little video here. So this is like a never before released, right? This was after a podcast, Dating Intelligence, uh, with Detroit Dust. And when you guys were talking about it, I was like, I'm going to fucking find this because I literally don't think it's been out. But this is uh, Byron Rogers right here and obviously the man of the hour. Uh, so this was after the podcast. He was doing like the little testing. And I think this is the clip that I want to pull up. Take aim and say, if, I, if, I, if I move, you're going to shoot. Okay. You move, I'm going to shoot you. Oh, he's already pulling. The head, he got his head out of the way in time. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this arm would go. I want to smack that dude in his mouth. <laughs> okay, I just had to. I had to pull it up because <laughs> you you mentioned it, and I was like, he really does it everywhere, man. And well, the 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 thought process here, and I can even just break this down. It's literally a magic trick, right? So he has set the parameters for what's going to happen. Even if you rewind all the way back to the beginning, he's setting the parameters. He's showing what you have to do. So he's saying, I'm going to give you the gun, and what I want you to do is I want you to point the gun at me, and when you see me move, I want you to go ahead and pull the trigger, okay? He's already told him how to react. He has not set up a realistic scenario of what's going on here because a realistic scenario is not so steady. There's com there's communication going on. Why does someone have a gun on you if they're just going to stare at you? They're not. They're going to give you advice. They're going to tell you not advice. They're going to tell you what they need from you. Give me your wallet. Do this. Do that. People aren't static in these situations, but he creates the environment where they are. He set up all of those parameters. And then, of course, reaction is slower than action. So by him knowing that he's going to be able to move when he wants, the other person isn't aware of when that's going to happen. But if you noticed, at first, the guy was kind of like flinching to pull the gun away. Well, all he was waiting for is for the person to reset. That would have never happened in a real scenario where he goes, OK, I, I flinched. So now I'm going to put the gun right back where it was. Why would you do that? Like, if someone has you alive at gunpoint, there's a reason. They need something from you. They need information. They need you as a hostage. They need you as a human shield. Or they need an item. Like, you have something I need, right? But other than that, they're probably just going to shoot you and kill you, yeah. right? So if someone didn't attend on killing you, and they pulled a gun on you, that's a much different scenario. And he's providing all of the parameters. No one ever calls him on that because he is the magician. He starts it off. He's saying, this is what I need you to do and how I need you to react, okay? And they just agree. There's been definitely several occasions, by the way, where Dale has tried this exact same thing. If you look it up, his name's Kenji, K-E-N-J-I. And Kenji went to his facility and shot Dale multiple times. And Dale tried this exact same trick, but Kenji was already aware of the magic trick, so he basically just didn't follow parameters. If you can pull that up, I'd appreciate the hell out of that. 
Because I think it'd be a shame to show him being successful and not showing him not. Yeah, no. I want to put a bunch of powder on my hand and successfully smack him in the face. That dude gives me... What's the spelling on that? The heebie-jeebies. K-E-N-J-I. Kenji. And uh, Kenji is the gentleman who went, which good for him. He went to Dale Brown's studio, which, by the way, is really ballsy. At first, you know how Dale Brown talks about being all open. At first, they weren't going to allow him to film, uh, which Dale, of course, that's the whole reason I don't want to go to his facility because he can control narrative. Um, And, of course, like you have to think about it, like you're literally going into the bee's nest at that point. Like if you go into any cult, cult followers protect cult leaders. That's what they do. And so when you have a scenario like, well, ah, I already see it. That's exactly it. So you can see clearly when someone knows what they're doing and knows the bit, what happens? Shot him, shot him, shot him, shot him, shot him. <laughs> like, no, no, go a little bit slower. Go a little bit slower, Kenji. Again, like you can see clearly that when the magic trick is not followed directly the way he, that he asked you to do it, it doesn't work. So, like, this fantasy that he creates, he's just really good at manipulating people. And if you look at, like, the face of the guy in the original video, that's how good a fraud Dale is. Because he's convinced that guy, oh, my God, this works. No, the fuck it doesn't. He convinced you that it works. And you can do that with almost anything, which is fascinating part of human behavior. It's pretty interesting. I do that every morning when I look in the mirror and I'm like, you're beautiful. And then I go <laughs> crush the day. <laughs> <laughs> now get out there and be somebody. Go be somebody. I did have one last thing for you, though. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, you were talking about the UFC there. The UFC is actually going to be here in Jacksonville, just as a shout out to the UFC. Um, right here in my home city, which it never does come here. Uh, where's the map? Where's my map? Month, man. There it is. It is going to be here on the 24th of June. So anybody who's in Jacksonville, make sure that you come to the UFC 24th of June. Wow. I didn't know that. I would have came. My, my mother's going to be in town. She's out there going to come visit. But 24 June, Jacksonville. I, I lived in uh, New Jersey most of my life, in the Army. But I, I got a job at Port St. Lucie uh, where I was going to work and live for a little while uh, about 10 years ago. That's cool. Yeah, that's not that far away from here. Yeah, yeah. I, I love it. I absolutely love Florida. Um, it's just, uh, it reminds me of New Jersey a lot and like, not the people, but just like some of the weather and like just the, I just love the, the vibes. Plus, I started golfing and golf's mm-hmm. big out in Florida. I don't know if you know golf. It is, man. The PGA Tour out here and it's like a huge deal. You know, it's funny. Like speaking of the UFC, Dana White every once in a while will like pop in and watch my lives. He never says anything. He never stays for a really long time, but he'll just watch. And I'll like send him a message like, hey, dude, thanks for watching the live. And he never answers his damn DM. <laughs> and I have one photo, one photo with him that I wanted to retake when I get the opportunity. And I was invited to Izzy versus Gastelum in Atlanta, which was the fight of the year that year. It was one of my favorite fights to this day, not just because I was there, but it's a banger of a fight, right? They're just going to war. That was the fight where Izzy's like, I'm willing to die. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep, five rounds. You might. <laughs> so I was like third row because Rogan was really cool and got me tickets. And I was like, this is the coolest shit in my whole life. I thought I was like, this is the greatest, right? And then Dana walked down the aisle. And I was like, oh, my God, Dana, can I get a photo, man? And I fanboy for a second, and I go take the picture. And I'm like, I got the picture. And I looked, and he already passed by. And it's me, clear as day, 
and a blurry photo of Dana because I was shaking my damn phone when I did it. So I uh, always wanted to retake that photo. One day I will. Well, we got to make that happen. Have you spoke to to Rogan at all about going on on his show? I mean, based off of you guys both being like true martial artists, and and I think it would be a great conversation. Honestly, I really do. So I know he does not like when people request to be on the show. He's been very vocal about that over the years. Even on his show, he talks about doesn't like when people bug him to be on the show. Um, I think that there are far more important people to, to interview that haven't been interviewed yet. Um, but I did request like years ago if I could be on the show. And one of it, like back when his actual, like uh, back when his podcast, like on his, his uh, website used to have like a contact button. I was like, okay, I'll try. And they were like, oh, we'll see what he has to say. So he knows I'd like to be on the show. He knows what I do. I think most likely it'll probably happen if it ever happens at all probably after the documentary hits because of the backing of Jocko. Jocko guaranteed me a spot on his podcast when that happens. So chances are good. We will try to do like a, a big podcast show run for publicity for the movie. Um, so we'll see, but um, I don't want to bug him. Like I, it's really weird even now, because if he has like a show, I'll be, I'll be like, yo man, I see you're going to be in town. He's like, I got your tickets. I was like, Oh, that's cool. Thank you. Like, and he's done that so many times, but if you try to like have a conversation with him, he kind of keeps people at bay. Yeah. So he's like really nice to me. Like he's overly nice to me. And then, um, you know, he's just kind of keeps people at a distance, which I think is fair. Well, maybe, and, and obviously we won't post anything uh, without you, um, previewing it first and, and saying it's good to go like clips and stuff from this. Um, well maybe you didn't ask, you just said it, you know, in a roundabout way, of course you'd like to be on it, but you wouldn't have. Maybe we could clip something and tag him uh, on Fight Junkies, uh, and maybe he'll be like, "Damn, this guy!" And you never know. But I mean, I mean, I'm <laughs> you know, like I said, I don't really want to bug the man, but you know, like I don't control other people's content. So that's true. Um, uh, yeah, so we got to get you out here. Um, again, we got. I got. I think there's a show coming in. I appreciate Vegas. You right? You're in Vegas. Yeah, I'm in Vegas. Yep. The, I could throw a a baseball and hit Dana White's office. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah I'm going to be there for international fight week. So I'll be there the third, at least through the seventh, maybe the eighth, if I'm able to get into the fights, because I know usually fight week builds up to a fight on that Saturday. Yeah. So, um, but I know for sure I'll be there on fight week because we're doing a convention, a martial arts convention out there next year. And we're scouting locations at an MGM property. Um, so if we can find a good uh, location at a good price for uh, a convention, well, uh, during International Fight Week, not this year, but next year, we're going to do a um, convention. So martial arts style convention with like seminars and speakers and panels and guests and stuff like that. Kind of kind of make it as close to Comic-Con for martial arts as possible. That's great. That's great. Um, yeah, we'll have to get together for sure. And uh, I'll be at the International Fight Week. I'm working on getting some some creds. If I can, I'm just going to spend this thousand bucks and buy my own vip pass and do fight junkies that way but uh, either way i will be in there that's for sure that's awesome man well i look forward to meeting you then yeah absolutely man so once again mcdojo life awesome page awesome person awesome human i really appreciate you coming on fight junkies he means a ton to me being like a you know a smaller show just getting in the works but keep killing it i want to say to you that i'm proud of you and i'm proud of what you've accomplished up to this point and keep slaying it brother